Perfect Stranglers contains graphic and explicit content suitable for mature listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Hi everyone, welcome to Perfect Stranglers. My name is Kylie. And I'm Bree. Welcome to uh, another ep- another I was an- another rousing episode of Perfect Stranglers. I was going to say another <laughs> rousing game, but this we ain't playing games, bitch. Nope. Not today. <laughs> really went in aggressive there. I was getting my Richard Ramirez on. Right. It's a favorite word of his. Mm-hmm. Word of the day. Bitch. <laughs> you know what that remind me of? I'm going to stick my dick in. Oh <laughs> the, my wall, the wall. <laughs> the wall. The mirror Wa- scene. <laughs> yeah. From Wanderlust. Yes. The, from Wanderlust. You want my dick. If y'all don't know what I'm talking about, you probably think I'm crazy. I highly suggest you go to YouTube and look it. Look up paul rudd mirror scene from wanderlust it is the best like three minutes of cinematic art you will ever see <laughs> i just if i'm having a down day i will watch that because he's just perfection yeah well paul rudd can do no wrong so really really can, he really cannot what was i oh i was watching uh I went to therapy today and uh, my therapist, therapist Matt, had Avengers Endgame up. And when I walked in, it was the part where Thor is telling the entire Avengers cast about um, like a plan or whatever. But And Thor kind of gets into his relationship, his like failed relationships and all that stuff. And he gets really sentimental. And Paul Rudd as Ant-Man is just sitting there just like listening to the story like oh yeah i've never heard this like wow i can't believe that happened just like really like getting into it and it just makes me appreciate paul red so much because he's he plays dumb really well yeah but not in a will ferrell way he plays dumb in a charming way yeah you know like a simpleton man is yes just like golden retriever energy he plays yeah. golden retriever energy very well yeah yeah Definitely. i was i was i i should have i wanted to stay and watch endgame and let that be my therapy because that would have been <laughs> relaxing to me <laughs> but it wasn't so we have a lot to talk about so do we want to get right into uh, uh i was gonna say homecoming homecoming <laughs> <laughs> homecoming housekeeping do you want to get into housekeeping oh can sure. i say hi to your mom real quick her mom gave us a, a, a fantastic breakdown of our episodes i love when she amps us up <laughs> i love it i yeah. love it she really she really amps us up like she sends you the sweetest texts you both your dad and your mom do, do. yeah sends you the sweetest texts sorry guys she totally shares screenshots <laughs> oh they know Oh, good. Good. I love it. But do you want to do homecoming, Brie? Okay. <laughs> From <laughs> housekeeping to housework to homecoming. There you go. All right. Okay. Don't forget to like and rate our podcast on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. It helps us get seen and it helps other people find us. Also, don't forget to subscribe to us on whatever platform that you listen to us on so you never miss an episode. We also want to hear from you on our social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We also want to hear your stories of true weird things that have happened to you. 
So email us at contact at perfectstranglers.com. And while you're at it, check out our website at perfectstranglers.com. Back to our homecoming queen, Kylie. Homecoming queen. Hold on, I gotta send a picture to my realtor real quick. I'm going to look at another house. I So I put, a, you know, the offer in on that one house. Uh-huh. Yeah. I think I'm going to go see another house this weekend. Anyway. So, thank you for doing Homecoming. We're going to talk about the second half of Richard Ramirez here. So, your little recap that we have going on. Homeboy killed 28 attempted murders, raped 8 people, 6 plus victimless crimes, two attended, intended rapes, held two captive, loved to leave pentagrams, ejaculate everywhere, called his victims bitch, shut up bitch, bitch give me your money, swear to Satan, don't swear to God, swear to Satan, don't look at me, ew, shut up bitch, I'll kill you, that's what he would do. Um, He had no victim, like he didn't have really like a, a type, like Ted Bundy liked brunettes with a center part, he didn't have that. His victims ranged from 6 to 86, men, women, children, black, white, Asian. Literally, not a single human being was safe. He operated in the um, in the L.A. area, and then he also did, he dabbled uh, for a crime or two um, in San Francisco as well, which is 500 miles away. He was a drug addict. He was 25 years old at the time of his murders. He was a drug addict who would rob these people of their jewelry and their money and use that as a way to, one, travel to these murders, murder places, um, just crime scenes, um, but also use that money to pay for his drugs and to pay for his rent. Um, obviously, he did not. He went to the dentist once and they tried to catch him at the dentist because they had like they recently found they found that uh, Richard Ramirez went to the dentist because it, he had an impacted tooth. Uh-huh. They were going to stake it out. Gil Carrillo, they decided that he was like, yeah, we need to stake this out. Well, the police department decided it wasn't worth their time. And so then the police department wasn't OK to stake out the dentist place and the dentist was like where were you guys because he was here he literally came and i was waiting for you guys to arrest him yeah and the frank was like yeah we didn't have the okay to do it because my boss said it wasn't worth our time wow so they could have caught him at the dentist they dropped the, the man ball. who was known and caught the man who was known and caught for his gnarly breath could have been caught at the dentist yeah how ironic would that have been um, but yeah, so he did all of this basically to fuel his drug habit. Um, and he was an absolute brutal human being who left certain pieces of evidence. And it turns out a 13-year-old boy who got a partial plate and part of his um, vehicle description, all that, he ended up really coming um, in crucial to solving this case. So that's your too long didn't read version of Richard Ramirez the night stalker here's the evidence and how he got caught so the last murder that we talked about in the last episode was bill carnes and inez erickson both survived the attack um they gave a really detailed description inez erickson gave a really detailed description of the attacker um, to investigators and police obtained a cast of ramirez's footprint from the romero house the 
13 year old who saw the car he left another shoe print but it wasn't the uh avias it was a different shoe so they weren't sure mm-hmm. um but everything else kind of seemed to add up um there was also an informant who came forward his name was alejandro alex espinoza and he made an anonymous call to the L.A. County uh, Sheriff's Department on August 26, 1985. So the last murder happened 20, August 24th. The informant came in on August 26th, made that phone call. He revealed that he knew the identity of the serial killer nicknamed the Night Stalker. When Alejandro contacted the police, the investigators felt that his information was legit information. So at 3 p.m. that day, Alejandro or Alex met with the police and gave more information about the man he knew as, quote, Richard, who was actually 25-year-old Richard Ramirez. Alejandro said that he and Ramirez carpooled when they both found jobs as day workers, but he grew pretty suspicious of Ramirez when he was asked to make frequent frequent stops all over the place, um, where Ramirez would give goods to like an unknown man in Echo Park, who would then give Ramirez cash, who was... So basically, Ramirez was having Alejandro drive him everywhere, and Ramirez was, hey, I need to go there, He, I need to go there, and he was giving all of the stolen items from his murders and robberies to his fence to get those items stolen so he can get cash for drugs. Yeah. So um, Alejandro also told detectives details about the crime scene in Monterey Park that only the murderer would know um, about and disclosed information about a gun that he had received from Ramirez, a 22 caliber semi-automatic pistol, which Alex left in Tijuana. So detectives ended up actually taking Alex to Tijuana. They recovered the gun that was used at the crime scenes along with recovering a boombox, like a radio, that was stolen during the Bell and Lang murder. So the Bell and Lang murders, that was the old ladies. Those were the two old ladies that were That one of them survived, survived and one of them... One of yeah. them survived. Yep. So... This boombox, their grandson bought that radio to them, and that radio had a serial number that they were able to confirm it was the one and the same that they were using. So the the um, grandson kept the receipt from this boombox that they bought. So they matched the serial number on their receipt to the serial number on the boombox that they got in Tijuana, and oh. that was the connection. Wow. So, that real detective shit, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, three days after Alejandro met with police, um, a fingerprint was found on one of the crime scenes that was matched to Ramirez. Alex was unable to give a last name of Richard. All he knew was that his friend's name was Richard and he was super shady and he had to carpool him everywhere. But it was quite obvious that this man named Richard or Rick was the killer. So the detectives met with Alejandro or Alex one more time and they showed him Ramirez's booking photo. So this booking photo that they had was from way back in the day, like five or six years ago, more than that. Ramirez was like 18 in this picture. Um, And it was a picture of... um, when he did car thief, when he was arrested for car theft, car theft. Mm-hmm. So we have how they got the booking photo. We'll circle back to. So Alejandro confirmed that this booking photo was in fact Ramirez. He identified the man as his friend. The next day, um, Ramirez was officially identified, like 
I was going to say like nationwide, but it's not that. It was identified in the police department as, okay, this is our dude. This is our killer. We need to let the people know. So on top of that information, the stolen Toyota that that kid had identified was found abandoned on August 28th in Koreatown in LA. That's where the police got another single fingerprint from the rearview mirror, despite Ramirez being super careful to wipe everything clean. So that print was positively identified as belonging to a Richard Ramirez. While there were eight people um, named Richard Ramirez in this area. And so when, um, Ramirez, who's identified, who, uh, sorry, when Ramirez, who was described as a 25-year-old drifter in Texas, he had a really long rap sheet that included a lot of arrests, but petty arrests for, like, traffic violations. Um, So they have this informant, they have the car, they have a fingerprint, and they have an arrest record. So now they have to put all of these together and get an identity. So... They were only, so with these fingerprints, this was the last piece of the puzzle, they were going to have to sift manually through literal paper fingerprints as there was only a fingerprint for someone who was suspected in a crime at some point. Also, the system used to identify these fingerprints was really recently installed, as well as the fact that the system that contained the fingerprints were for criminals born on or after January 1st, 1960, Ramirez was born in February of 1960. So had he been born like a couple months earlier, they would never have found him. Oh, wow. Yeah. So there were eight people with the name Richard Ramirez in the police records, and he was the perfect match. So now we have an identity. We have the fingerprint. We have a confirmation of ID. We have the mugshot photo that matches. We know who he is. So on August 29th of 1985, law enforcement officials in San Francisco decided to release a mugshot, that mugshot of Ramirez from the 84 arrest um, of auto theft to the media. And they called him the Night Stalker and said he was finally ID'd. So Frank Salerno and Gil Carrillo were very much not okay with the San Fran authorities releasing this information because they knew that Ramirez was watching. If Ramirez is watching, he's going to be like, oh shit. I'm going to run. You're not going to catch me. So Ellie and San Fran on the 11 o'clock news that night, they release all of the same information together to the, to the behest of Frank and Gil. Um, so at the police conference, it was announced, we know who you are now and soon everyone will. There we will be no place you can hide. So now the hunt begins for this guy that we know who he is. The Glendale police knew, which is where um, Frank Salerno and Gil Carrillo were, was Glendale. They knew that he would be leaving, likely, the L.A. area now that the information was out and about there. And they knew that he would likely use a Greyhound bus depot to do so. He used Greyhound buses a lot. He actually even had a locker there. So um, the team... Uh, brought in the LAPD SIS team surveillance, like the surveillance team to surveil the area. It was risky for this team to surveil them, to surveil the whole area, because this team was badass. If they see someone and someone even causes the slightest bit of a ruckus, they will shoot to kill, no questions asked. 
which take care, takes care of your uh, murderer problem, but also leaves a lot of uh, questions unanswered when your killer might be caught. Like yeah. you want answers. Right. So on August 30th of 1985, Ramirez ended up taking a bus to Tucson, Arizona, like they predicted, to visit his brother. Um, and at this point, Ramirez was completely unaware that he had become the lead story in virtually every major newspaper and TV program across California. So after failing to meet his brother due to his brother not being home, Ramirez hopped on a bus, returned back home to L.A. early on the morning of August 31st. So at the bus station, the SIS team was surveilling the station, expecting Ramirez to be leaving out where the passengers are normally, like you come home and you leave out the bus station. But Ramirez was smart. He left out the other side, kind of the back where passengers would generally enter. And he was able, though, Ramirez made all of the cops. He knew exactly who was a um, undercover cop and who was homeless. And he kind of knew that because an undercover cop will look dirty on the outside, but their teeth will be nice, their hair will be washed, their skin will be clean. Yeah. So he he, he avoided all of these people very, very easily. So Richard, he walked out um, of, the, of the bus station. He exited onto the street. He went down the block. And on the front of every single newspaper that he walked by, he saw his face plastered across all of the newsstands. He hopped onto a public bus immediately, not a Greyhound. And he had, an, it was an easy eight mile drive. He needed to make it eight miles to lay low, make it to his brother's house in East LA. Easy peasy. Well, on that bus ride, a rider was sitting down, looking at the newspaper, looked up at Ramirez, looked down looked up and Ramirez saw that happen uh-huh and Ramirez was like oh shit and this guy knew immediately that this dude is the killer on the newspaper that I'm looking at yeah so this passenger pulled the pull cord had it ding hopped off of the bus and luckily there was a payphone right there when this guy got off this guy began dialing and Ramirez saw the guy dialing and knew that he was fucked so at this point, Ramirez was getting looked at and pointed at. Every person on the street and on the bus before he hopped off of it was slowly realizing who they were staring, standing next to and staring at. The dude who recognized him initially um, at first and hopped off the bus to dial the police, he was smart. He also flagged down a truck from the gas company and told them to tail Ramirez, who is now off the bus running on foot. So the truck followed Ramirez, and Ramirez ended up running across the I-5 freeway, which is 10-plus lanes wide. He ran across all 10 lanes. <laughs> Frogger. He continued, yep, he continued <laughs> running north, and he continued running north, and everyone is calling into the police station at this point. He was being tracked by the gas, gas company, by civilians, and by police. Ramirez attempted to carjack one person, a man, and he failed this carjacking. He then ran across the street and attempted to carjack someone else and failed again. For the second carjacking attempt, he yelled at the woman in Spanish, give me your keys or I'll kill you. Then this badass motherfucker named Manuel de la Torre, he stepped in to help the second carjacking, vic carjacking victim. So Manuel, he grabbed a medical metal like um, stick from the gate, like a, a metal fencing gate. He grabbed that and whacked 
Richard Ramirez in the head with it. Uh, Ramirez fell. He got back up. And when he got back up and he started to begin running again, this guy whacked him in the head again. So at this point, we have a neighborhood. We have Richard Ramirez getting whacked in the head by Manuel. And all of these neighbors are coming out of the streets and they're coming out of their houses. They have these newspapers and they're all saying to themselves, that's the guy, that's the killer, that's that's the Night Stalker. And we yeah. have this forming mob of people chasing the stumbling, out of breath, exhausted, dirty fucking killer down the street. There is a video of the arrest in this mob chasing Richard Ramirez. That's awesome. It is insane. So um, as the entire neighborhood band together, recognized the killer, and chased him through the neighborhood, uh, Ramirez just couldn't run anymore. The neighborhood ended up tackling him to the ground and began to beat him. And just as they tackled him to the ground and began to beat him, Ramirez saw a sheriff's car pulling up ahead, and he was like, Jesus, fuck, I'm saved. <laughs> so the uh, Ramirez also said to one guy, you're lucky that cop's here or else I would have killed you. Yeah. Okay, Ramirez. Okay. So the arresting officer, yeah, the arresting officer at the time, he just knew that there was a mob and there were police, there were people calling in and there's this guy who's on the ground being beaten. I need to get this guy up, figure out what's going on with him and figure out what these people are talking about. Mm-hmm. And as the crowd started like Um, so the arresting officer gets this guy handcuffed, pops him into the back of the car, but as the crowd starts peering in at Ramirez in the cop car, like he's a caged animal, the officer starts looking at the newspapers that they were all holding. He called in the arrest and realized, holy shit, this is the Richard Ramirez that I have. And the police officer said, okay, I have this killer. But I also have people trying to kill him. There are people threatening to get out their guns and shoot him. He's like, I have to protect this killer because he needs to be in custody. We can't just have someone kill this guy because he's a lot of information we need. Yeah. Even though he's a killer, I need to protect him. Right. So they got him questioned and say if other officers showed up. And in the video, you see Ramirez sitting in the back of the cop car. And you can see uh, Ramirez sticking his tongue out in and out and hissing at people and growling at people oh weird but then you also see him just like hunched over he's so tall and so skinny you see him hunched over his arms are like he's holding himself and he just looks like he got the absolute daylights knocked out of him yeah it's it's wild it is wild so when the cop car got when the cop car got there and everyone was like huddling around, there were easily two hundred people um, waiting for Ramirez to be brought in as he was like getting driven into the jail. There were easily two hundred people waiting for him outside to, for them to bring bring him in, bring him in. So when Salerno and Carrillo got him into the interview room, he was as advertised. He matched the description. Uh, he literally, Ramirez literally interrupted Salerno when he was introducing himself because he saw Salerno as essentially a celebrity. Salerno, um, he was the one who arrested the Hillside Stranglers, broke that case open. Um, and like I said previously, 
Ramirez followed that case very closely. He knew all of Salerno's work, and it really took Frank by surprise. He's never had an interaction like that with a suspect, let alone a serial killer. Um, Ramirez was calling him Mr. Salerno, and you could tell that it was like, it was like Richard Ramirez seeing his hero. Yeah. In Frank Salerno. It was wild. So in the documentary on Netflix, Carrillo goes in depth about his interview process. Ramirez chose to invoke his rights, which means normally he would stay silent. But Ramirez was like, no, 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 I want to ask you some things. Come over here. Let me talk to you. So Carrillo sits down, is super relaxed with Ramirez. He starts talking in a really like non-formal manner and it's all going well until Carrillo starts bringing up Ramirez's family. Carrillo said that he only got scared once during this entire thing and it was then when family was brought up because it's a huge sensitive subject for uh, for Richard. So Ramirez was sitting at the table with his head down, eyes up, Kubrick stare, and his hands were flat on the table and his hands began like gripping the table and the, like began shaking. Carrillo really thought that Ramirez was literally going to float up out of his seat like the exorcist. And he was really freaked out. Like, he truly thought this man is into Satanism. And he is possessed by Satan and something's going to happen. Yeah. Creepy. Yeah. So now we have a really unique mix. We have people who wanted to and were threatening to kill Ramirez on the transport from the place of initial... Um, arrest to questioning to jail but we also have people idolizing him Mm -hmm. a woman literally flashed Richard Ramirez on his transport from the questioning area to the freaking jail like flashed him Uh, But the vast majority um, this was like a collective sigh of relief for the entire area the entire city I equate this like the entire city was a red hot cast iron pan. And when it was announced that the killer was in custody, this red hot cast iron pan was dunked in ice water. Uh-huh. It was just like a. Ah. People were in the streets <laughs> celebrating. That's yeah. literally what I equate it to. People were like, oh my God. Yes. It was like, uh, yeah, people were celebrating like their team just won the Super Bowl. Right. Like a block, huge block party for the whole city. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So now the trial. Salerno man, he's a smart guy. He played to Ramirez's ego, but he also uh, played into his fascination with other serial killers. So once they got him into the jail, they put him and held him in the same cell as they held Kenneth Bianchi, Bianchi, a.k.a. the Hillside Strangler. That made Richard Ramirez absolutely fucking pumped. They told him, like, you're staying in Kenneth Bianchi's cell. And he was, like, jazzed about it. And they hmm. were trying to get on Ramirez's good side to maybe get him to open up. So this is when they did the police lineup and they brought in that six-year-old victim who was able to ID him. Um, this is when they had the suspects line up and say things like, give me your money, where's the jewelry, and shut up, bitch. So both Salerno and Carrillo, um, they had kids and it was obvious... That this was quite a lot, not only for the kids to go through, but for the detectives to go through. And it was really clear that Ramirez, he was going to be tried and convicted for these murders. And there was, like, no question about it. Mm -hmm. Um, And they could have tacked on all of these child charges as well for, like, rape, um, assault, and all that stuff. 
but they ultimately decided to drop all of the child charges because one, they already knew they had him for at least life, if not the death penalty. Two, they didn't want to put the children and the children's family through them having to testify and say their experiences again and again and again and be questioned about it. Yeah. It was unnecessary. It was too much. And he's already being tried and convicted. Right. Why put these kids through it? Yeah. It wouldn't so, have gotten him any more no, time it would have, or whatever. He's always he's no. going to be getting, you know, probably the max or whatever. Yeah. So they tossed all of those out. Yeah. Um, so the prosecutor was Phil Helpin. Defense attorneys were Daniel and Arturo Hernandez. The defense, um, <laughs> these defense attorneys, they had six murder cases total to their names, no death penalty cases. They had only been practicing for two years when Richard's parents made the call to hire them as the team to defend their son. Mm. This was the beginning of a fucking circus, and this was not the defense team that was the initial defense team. This was actually his second defense team, but it was the one that ultimately stuck with him throughout the trial. Um, and you could tell that they were really underqualified, and they knew that they were underqualified as well. Not like they're going to get him off for not doing it, but yeah. Yeah. So literally, uh, during the trial and the media coverage, the defense attorneys threatened to take Phil Helpin outside to teach him a lesson. The defense attorneys were what? riling up the crowd, riling up the news reporters outside. Ramirez was playing up the crowd and riling up the crowd as well. He was showing up looking like a rock star with his aviator shades on, his long hair blown out, a suit. Ramirez was constantly like flashing the devil horns to members of both legal teams, reporters, his audience. It was like a spectacle. What a weirdo. Like this was a spectacle. Yeah. For the trial itself, um, jury selection for the, the whole process began on July 22nd of 1988. On August 3rd, the LA Times reported that some of the jail employees actually overheard Ramirez planning to bring a gun in and shoot the prosecutor, um, which Ramirez intended to have smuggled into the courtroom. Because of that, a metal detector was installed outside and intense searches were done on every single person entering the courtroom. On August 14th of 88, the trial was, um, the whole process was interrupted because um, one of the jurors, her name was Phyllis uh, Singletary, she didn't arrive to the courtroom. And they're like, what the fuck? Where's Phyllis? How come she's not here for jury duty? This is a major case. Well, later that day, she was found shot to death in her <gasps> apartment. Oh, my God. What? Yes, she was found shot to death in her apartment. The jury was terrified. They were like, okay, we have this guy who's, like, worshipping Satan. Did he, like, summon a demon to do this? Do we need Sam and Dean on the case? Like, what the fuck's happening? <laughs> so, uh, Sam and Dean didn't exist yet, but that's where my mind goes. Um so the jury was, like, freaked out. They were wondering if Ramirez had maybe even somehow directed a hitman to do this from right. inside his prison cell and whether or not he could maybe, like, reach the other jurors this way, too. Like, yeah. they were very scared. However, it was ultimately determined that Ramirez was not responsible or involved whatsoever. Um, and she was shot and killed by her boyfriend. It was a domestic abuse thing. He later committed suicide with the same weapon inside a hotel room. Mm. So then they had the alternate juror come up who replaced uh, Phyllis, 
but this the juror this alternate juror was too scared to return to her own home like this this woman just never went home this alternate wow like that's serious yeah yeah um on october 24th of 1985 ramirez himself makes his first courtroom appearance and he is standing in the courtroom on the side of the courtroom you can see people next to him police officers in front of him there's a barricade he's shackled hands are down wearing his blue jumpsuit and that's when he holds up his hand and on his palm he has a pentagram drawn on it he proceeds to plead not guilty to all charges and immediately after the court was recessed he looks around he yells hail satan for the entire courtroom to hear as he's being ushered out i think we've all seen this we've all seen the pentagram hand we've all seen this courtroom to me this is like without a doubt the most infamous thing that has happened throughout one this entire case and it's one of the most notable images of like modern serial killers ever and i think like in all courtroom documentation we've never quite seen anything like that like a crime like a serial killer be so open about having no remorse and about their beliefs in like satanism and just that type of thing yeah like he had no shame about it We've never quite seen anything like Richard Ramirez. He was something else. This is also when the groupies began. Because the boy had groupies. So every day there were women inside and outside of the courtroom hoping to get a glimpse of the man that they were enamored enamored with and idolized. He would get letters sent to him, Polaroids, a.k.a. nudes, sent to him. He had a lineup of groupies that were paying him visits. Uh, they were watching the watching the trial footage. He um, knew that this was his moment to shine and the moment to have his ego be stroked. This is what he had done all of that for, was for like this moment. Beginning in 1985, Doreen, Le- Doreen Loy, L-I-O-Y, uh, she wrote him about 75 letters during his incarceration. In 1988, Ramirez proposed to uh, Doreen, and on October 3rd, 1996, they ended up getting married in California's San Quentin State Prison. She was a virgin. Uh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know. You know. Um, so for many years before Ramirez ends up dying, but for many years before his death, uh, she stated that she would commit suicide when Ramirez was executed. However... However, she eventually left Ramirez in 2009 after that DNA confirmed that he had raped and murdered that nine-year-old Mei Lang. So by the time, um, after that, in 2013, before his death, he was engaged again to a 23-year-old writer. To this day, so I monitor our social media, to this day, there are Twitter pages, Spotify playlists, blogs, Tumblr pages, online groups dedicated to ramirez and people admiring him when we post about him and we do hashtags referring to him he is without a doubt the number one serial killer that gets us engagement on social media due to the sheer quantity of fan pages that he has following certain hashtags on on instagram wow like it's it's unreal i can do any other serial killer and Ted Bundy maybe a little bit, but if I do Richard Ramirez, it's a wrap. I don't it's understand yeah. that. 
I don't understand the appeal. Like, what are you hoping to gain from, like, Dor- what's her name, Doreen? Yeah. Whatever, like, what's, what are you hoping to gain from a relationship with a guy who rapes children and old people and kills people and, like, what, what does that say about you? (laughs) Exactly. And the one thing, the only thing that I, makes sense to me, and I don't even remember where I read this, is... People want the danger, they want the adrenaline rush, they want the bad boy, but when they are with someone who is in prison, they get the bad boy without the bad boy, without the fear of the bad boy. Like, the bad boy is not going to come and kill them. Right. So they get all that they wanted without the fear involved Actually putting themselves but in still, danger. Yeah. 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 But still, man. Yeah, I don't get it. I don't get it. Like, I get it, but I just can't fathom it, I guess, is what I should say. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, the trial concluded, and on September 20th of 1989, Richard Ramirez was convicted of all charges, uh, 13 counts of murder, 5 attempted murders, 11 sexual assaults, 14 burglaries. During the penalty phase of the trial on November 7th of 1989, he was sentenced to death in California's gas chamber. He stated to reports after the death sentence, big deal. Death always went with the territory. See you in Disneyland. The <laughs> trial cost 1.8. Yeah. The trial cost $1.8 million, which is almost $4 million in 2022 dollars, which at that time made it the most expensive case in history in this, uh, the state of California. And it was only surpassed by OJ Simpson in that murder case in 1994. So it was a it was a really big deal. It was a yeah. One of the things he also said in one of his interviews or um like while he was like on trial in his interviews and stuff is I am beyond good and evil. I will be avenged. Lucifer dwells in all of us. That's it. Like I don't know, listening to some of the shit he said for being uneducated, he really had a way with words. Like he was really good at coming up with pretty detailed poetic ways of talking about evil mm-hmm. i guess he had time to think on it i don't know yeah um so there are a couple additional victims that may or may not be related to him there is um 32 year old patty elaine higgins on june 27th of 85 she was murdered in her arcadia home the crime wasn't discovered until july 2nd uh, when she didn't show up for work her attacker sodomized her, strangled her, slashed her throat. No. Ramirez was actually char- yeah. Ramirez was actually charged with this murder and burglary in relation to her murder. Um, but the charges against him were dropped because they didn't have concrete um physical evidence linking right. her to the night stalker. Yeah. Um, and then based yeah, so hers is still of that I know of unsolved. Um, And then based on a statement Ramirez made to an investigator, he is also a suspect in the San Francisco double murder of Christina and Mary Caldwell. The Caldwell sisters were found stabbed to death in their house on February 20th of 85. Also, while incarcerated, Ramirez openly bragged to other inmates about having killed more than 20 people. So there are likely a lot more... um, murders out there connected him than we know of yeah 
So, um, Ramirez did die. He never got made it to the gas chamber. He died of complications of secondary B-cell lymphoma, or blood cancer, um, at Marin General Hospital in Green Greenbrae, California, on June 7th of 2013. He also was affected by, um, he had a really bad hepatitis C viral infection from his chronic substance abuse. Um, at 53 years old is when he died. He was on death row for more than 23 years. He likely wouldn't have been executed until his early 70s because California's um, appeals process is so in, like, inefficient. Yeah. So he had a long time to wait yet mm-hmm. to be executed. So... The media with him, he basically rewrote what serial murders were because he had no MO, no victimology. He was an absolute unhinged loose cannon who just did what he was going to do when he was going to do it. But he also had that wicked childhood and all that stuff that happened. Yeah. So he was instrumental on that. Um, I don't understand why he wasn't a household name like Bundy and Dahmer and Gein prior to the Netflix documentary. I don't know why people didn't know about him. What? Who didn't know about him? There, I guess, people I talked to, and I would ask if they watched The Night Stalker or whatever, there are a lot of people who had no idea who he was. And when the doc- documentary came out, there are a lot of, like, social media strings and blogs and stuff, like, saying, who is The Night Stalker? I didn't know who The Night Stalker was. Why didn't I know about him? There's so many people who had no idea who The Night Stalker was. I don't- I'm giving a look of disapproval. He is the worst. Uh, he is, to me, worse than anyone else. Like, he's unreal. Oh, for sure. Um, yeah. He's pretty bad. He is, yeah. He is also um, very often referred to as the worst serial killer in modern history. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was talked about a lot in Mindhunter, the book, um, which the FBI profilers used him as well to, like, talk about what serial what a serial murder is and how to look out for one um he's also been featured in pop culture american horror story ramirez not him but like actors are featured in the fifth and ninth seasons of um of american horror story season nine is the one that has him a lot in it there's a song called richard ramirez by skinned and they have skinned has all of their songs are named after serial killers it's spelled s-k-y-n-d is the name of the band I never heard of them. They're weird. Um, Just a Guy is a 2020 documentary about Ramirez and the women that he corresponded with. And then, of course, we have Night Stalker, The Hunt for a Serial Killer, the 2021 documentary on Netflix. And that, my friends, is Richard Ramirez, The Night Stalker. Dang. That was a lot, too. (laughs) (laughs) I know. (laughs) We made it. <laughs> we made it. Listen, <laughs> when we go all in, we go all in. And yeah. I'm glad I got this one out of my system. Yeah. Yeah. I've been waiting. I've been waiting to do this one. I needed to do it. Well, you know. Just like you needed to do the Manson murders. Right. It's getting towards the end of the second season. So. It is. the Yeah. The end of the second season's coming up. I think we're like two thirds of the way through it at this point. Yeah. So, yeah, gotta pull out all the stops. That's right. I think I'm doing a sleepwalking case next 
I think I'm going to do sleepwalking case. I know I've talked about a sleepwalking case. It's been on my docket. I think I'm going to do it. Uh-huh. I think it's based out of Canada. Okay. I think so. I'm going to have to look it up. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to see, cause I want to do something that's kind of like not as brutal. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll <laughs> it's kind of not we'll as brutal, but somebody still gets murdered. <laughs> right. But it's not like, you know, thumb cuffs and nine-year-olds. So, uh, yeah, so that's a positive. That is true. Maybe, maybe one murder, not a serial killer. Okay. You know, tame it down a bit. bit. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Tame or dawn. Just a touch, huh? All right, guys, thank you so much for sticking in and uh, listening to the second half of The Night Stalker. If you are liking what you're hearing, feel free and follow us on social media. Um, And if you have any special requests of what you want us to do as we round out season two of Perfect Stranglers, feel free and email us or shoot us a DM. Email is contact at perfectstranglers.com. And we will chat with you next Thursday. Bye, everyone.